standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here. Welcome to the second part of today's Sunday Chops. Hopefully you've already caught the first part of Sunday Chops, in which Hannah and Mick talked to human rights lawyer and senior research and policy officer for the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, Dr Mavo Walk, about the Magdalene Laundries. And it is absolutely, it's fascinating. I've listened to it. It is so interesting. And you just, basically what I'm saying to you is, you need it in your life. It's fantastic. And I'm not even in it. And I think it's fantastic. So give it a listen. Also, we went a bit bonkers in general this week on the old content front. On Friday, we put out an outside the box with our fantastic Dunleavy and indeed Mick and I chipping in from time to time. And on Saturday, we also put out a London Film Festival special in which I chat to some fantastic directors of fantastic films and tell you a little bit about what I'm looking forward to watching at the festival next week. Right now, in your second chop of the day, is the second part of our Black History Month series. Last week, Mick spoke to host of the Wannabe podcast and CEO of the Shout Out Network and just general top bird, Emeril Morgan. Next week, Hannah's going to be chatting to Claire Huken, author of What is Race? Who are Racist? Why does skin colour matter? And other big questions. And then Mick will, for the final part, be chatting to cabaret sensation Hot Brown Honey. But right now, I had the absolute delight of earlier in the summer catching up with Yomi Adegaki and Elizabeth UV Benene, authors of Slay in Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible. This is kind of an interesting one because I think it kind of straddles the history of black British people, but also very much the future because these two whippersnappers are just basically going to take over the world. I'm, I'm quite sure of it. They're absolutely fantastic and it was a really, really interesting chat. And if I don't make it clear enough over the course of this podcast... I absolutely, 100% recommend you read this book. For me as a white person, it is absolutely eye-opening and I really, really do recommend that people read it. We had a fantastic chat about, oh my goodness, all sorts of things. About the politics of hair, about self-esteem, about the so-called black renaissance and just not being a dick. I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's a very interesting lesson, so I hope you enjoy it. Hello. I'm sitting in my flat in Dalston with Yomi Adedike and Elizabeth Yuva Benene. Yomi is a journalist and Elizabeth is a marketing manager and together they are the authors of the very fantastic Slay in Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible. Hi guys. Hi. <laughs> totally natural. Well done guys. Um, can you tell us a bit about the book, what it's about and what you sort of hope to achieve I was reading quite a few self-help books and personal development books back in 2015. I was in like my first graduate proper job outside university. Like you do, you want to, you know, make the best of your opportunities and really go ahead in your career. And I think for me, I looked at my boss and my boss's boss and essentially they were all white men and his boss was white, um, male as well. So I was trying to work out exactly what my career would look like and what I really wanted out of it. So I read books such as Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, which was great, but it didn't necessarily speak to my whole identity as a black woman. I learned stuff from it, but I guess where 
Sheryl Sandberg talks about leaning in um, and I guess being forthright and owning your career. What that means for a black woman is quite different. So I would go to loads of different networking events as well and I'd meet loads of lovely, amazing black women, um, really quite, I guess, similar to me where some were, you know, a bit further in the careers about the triumphs ahead, but also what we, the challenges that we were facing now being black women in the workplace. This all kind of led me to have like a week at work where I was like, oh my God, I need something that I can refer to. And and I called Yomi, my best friend, on a lunch break on a Friday afternoon. And I asked her to essentially write a book for me um, that would speak to me. And I know I knew it would speak to loads of different women that I would that I'd met previously, but also speak to different types of people who am in the workplace. And that conversation, the book transcended into talking about work, but also to all different facets of a black woman's life. So from education to representation to, to mental health to, to pretty much like what it is now, the Black Girl Bible. And we were 22 slash 23 at the time. So rather than, I guess, tell other people about, you know, how to kind of slay in their own lanes, we wanted kind of advice ourselves. So we decided to interview different types of black women to kind of, I guess, share their stories about what it is to be black and female in their respective fields and various parts of their lives growing up and to this day god it's like so multifaceted especially like more so in hindsight so i think immediately it was there was an obvious issue which was there are loads of amazing books that are talking about what it is to be a woman in a certain situation like within the workplace and then it our immediate thing was kind of okay so how do we speak to black women that do want to sort of like break we can't even call it necessarily a glass ceiling, but like, you know, we kind of like refer to like a glass warehouse, concrete ceiling, essentially. So what can we do to sort of sort of guide these women and make sure that they feel that essentially that they're able and just, yeah, that it's literally feasibly possible for them to thrive in that environment. That was like our kind of immediate aim. And then as Elizabeth mentioned before, it became more like looking on bookshelves and sort of realising that there was nothing in terms of dating. There was nothing in terms of talking about mental health physical health so that was like kind of the second aim like okay like so how do we help black women and inspire black women in terms of just navigating life full stop which became like a whole different conversation and top of that it was very much like okay we didn't want this to be a book that kind of just listed all the difficulties of what it was to be a black woman because we knew the predominant people that would be reading this were black women who knew what the issues were anyway so we, we always kind of say like we don't really like the term like self-help book because it's like you can't like slay your way out of like systemic racism and like institutional like sexism and racism and stuff so it became very much about inspiring as well there's like a very that's why the 39 women that we interviewed are so key and crucial because they provided advice where we weren't able to but also they're able to provide like inspiration and empowerment through representation and and being able to see that, you know, these black British women have gone on to be successful, not just for black British women, but for anybody. They're successful in any context. If they were white men, they'd be considered highly, highly successful white men, essentially. And then the reason I'm like, in hindsight, there's so many aims of it, because whilst our initial aim was to speak to and inspire and advise black women, now looking back, a lot of it's become about educating educating black women about the hurdles that they may not yet have faced because as elizabeth said when we just were discussing the book we were graduates so a lot of the hurdles that elizabeth discussed in terms of like wanting to thrive in the workplace were new to her and we were kind of were like okay we want to make sure that women are educated about what's sort of coming or like for instance if you're just sort of newly dating or something and it's like you might not know what it's like to go on tinder and like feel as though like, you're just getting swiped left more compared to your friends of other races so it became about educating on that front but then educating people that aren't black women so much of this has been about and i guess it wasn't necessarily our media aim but like now looking back it's like so much of it has been about people from outside of the community reading an experience outside of their own and realizing that 
things that also often whittle down to like a chip on the shoulder or to you know somebody just being an angry black woman or kind of like a crazy black woman having like the statistical evidence to a show black women that they're not mad and that these things aren't imagined and that if you feel that you know you're perceived in a particular way or you feel that you're coming across hurdles that your white peers aren't that here's the statistical evidence that you are but then also having that articulated so that people who don't have that lived experience can sort of look and read it and learn from the anecdotes but then also learn from the actual data and research that's in there and realize that this stuff does exist whilst it's massively important that black women are able to read about their experiences and have them validated and affirmed for the conversation to really move forward it's important for people that aren't black women to understand that this stuff is actually happening because usually those are the people that are in the positions of power to be able to actually make things change whilst we can through this book empower black women to thrive as much as they can and come to the battle prepared we always say if people who are potentially at times contributing to like the system of oppression aren't even aware it's happening then how do we do you know what i mean a lot of the time it's like it's not intentional with feminism in general mm. you can't change society unless you change men's attitudes Absolutely. so it's the same kind exactly, of thing exactly exactly that so i think for us, it's like, I don't think that was necessarily something that was like immediately like our first thing. Because our first thing was just about, you know, speaking to black women. And that's, we always say it's like by black women, for black women. And that's like our key and core demographic and who we're speaking directly to. So many people sort of said, I'm a white woman and I've read this and it's spoken to me on like so many different levels. And I urge you to bite for other people that aren't necessarily black women, just so you can understand what's happening. I read a review on Amazon and it was a white woman who was pretty much just like gushing and saying how good the book was because she learned a lot but more so because she's managing a team and there's quite a few black women and black girls in her team and it really opened her eyes in terms of the perceived having the chip on the shoulder so she was like felt empowered to kind of see things differently and, um, and hopefully make a better impact on those young women's lives. Hello, sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. I just wanted to remind you that if you actually want to see us talking in the flesh, you can do it by coming to one of our In Conversation shows. We've got three shows left in 2018, all of them held at the Leicester Square Theatre. The first one is on October the 28th when our guests are Stacey Solomon, June Sarpong and Lisa Riley. On November the 20th, we'll be allowing some men to do the talking when our guests will be Richard Herring, Colin Jackson and David Morrissey. And finally, in December, our lineup will be Felicity Ward, Lolly Adafopi and Laura Bates. And that is on December the 16th. You can find out more by going to the Leicester Square Theatre website or to Sarah Millican's website, www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. Thanks. One thing that really, I don't know why this stood out so much to me, it was something that, ne that never occurred to me. So hair, the politics of hair, right? I think it was, is it Afua Hirsch who says that when she went to university, things that you take for granted in London because yeah. it's a multicultural society, yeah. when you go out to like Norwich or whatever, <laughs> there's nowhere to get your hair done, yeah. for example. Just little things like that that would not occur to a white woman because every hairdresser <laughs> is a exactly. white woman's hairdresser and just things like that were not things that had occurred to me before privilege is invisible to those who have it and even like as black women and as like i speak for myself there's a privilege that i have that i still that's invisible to me so it's it's about 
educating each other and basically almost you know turning the stone and going okay this is actually what reality is like for different identities as well I think we all have a lot of learning to do hair being a very universal thing that we all have who did you look up to when you were younger in those kind of visible more powerful roles and what would it have meant to you to have had something like this to look at as teenagers you talk about the penny sort of dropping in your 20s were you aware yeah it definitely dropped earlier than that because I remember I even write about it in the book, I was saying that when I used to buy magazines as a kid, Sabrina Secrets, I always specifically remember that one, that, that, cause I was really young, like probably like nine or eight or nine when I was buying that. Again, back to hair, it had like the hair tutorials and it was kind of like, yeah, you should do this like French braid and like hear these free, I'm, I mean, to this day I love freebies. So it's like, I'd always be, you know, right? So I'd always, oh my God, I can't wait for the free thing and the free gift that comes with it. And it'd always be stuff that I wouldn't be able to use. And I was very aware that like, I wouldn't be able to use it because I was black and because I had an afro. You had like this big makeup bag and, and you'd have to fill the set. And I remember that it was every week I'd be waiting for something that came that was colorblind, something that I could use despite not having like Caucasian hair. So like, I'd always be like really looking out for like nail varnish and like toe separators and things that it didn't, and like, you know, never wanted to use like the lip gloss. And, and it's kind of like, oh, well, why wouldn't you want to use the lip gloss? Like surely lip gloss is this universal thing. And I'm like, well, not if it's like frosted pink and it's not taking into account your skin tone because obviously on me it looked like I'd eat a massive cake or something and just got all the icing left on my lips and look really weird. I remember from a really early age being, there's loads of stuff I can't use when it comes to makeup and beauty and there are loads of magazines that aren't speaking to me. I know it's because I'm black. It's weird, like you don't necessarily have the time or the space to internalize it in a really profound way. I used to say to my older sister who, was very heavily like my representation growing up. When we used to see black models, they'd always have their head shaved. And I was, why is it that when it comes to black models, like they never have any other hairstyle? You know, like Alex Ware, all those Grace Jones-esque type looking models, they'd always just have their head shaved. And I remember one day it dawned on me, it probably was because people didn't know how to do black hair because I was so used to seeing magazines where black hair was completely invisible that I thought, why would the same industry have any clue what to do when it came to afro hair so they're probably literally just lopping it all off and then presenting it as this look and aesthetic for like 10 years because they just didn't know what to do with it from primary school i remember one of my earliest things about representation or just knowing a point of difference was red nose day because i remember the red noses could like never fit my nose (laughs) because my nose is wide and i certainly wasn't raised colorblind but i think things were slightly different because i grew up in croydon a really black area nobody was represented and then weirdly everyone was represented because all my neighbors were black, the vast majority of my friends were black. So it was more just like, I'm represented in my house and like amongst my family, but not in magazines and not in television. And if it is television, I make this point a lot. I'd look at Tia and Tamira and Sister Sister and Moesha and feel like, that's me. And then watch something like EastEnders, which was like set where I was born, which is Canning Town in East London, and wouldn't see myself at all, mm. despite that's meant to be closer to my own identity, but then I could watch people in Crenshaw, America, and be like, oh my God, that's me. Like, she's got braids, she's got dark skin. So yeah, it's weird. Like, I thought magazines weren't a space where I'd ever see myself at all. And, and it's weird, you kind of get to this point where you don't even expect to. Now, I mean, Elizabeth literally had like four or five mainstream photo shoots, Elle magazine, which is just, blows the mind like the times the guardian refinery 29 what as a young person i'd call white women's magazines because that's how i saw them (laughs) i can't even describe what something like this would have meant to me as a kid even though it's weird because it's like you didn't necessarily think something like this 
could exist because it's so mainstream but it's so interesting because there's a whole chapter in there being like the importance of representation like why it matters and not just in terms of representing black women but representing a certain type of black women so that's a black woman with a big nose with darker skin because obviously when black women are represented it can often be what's the right most reasonably whitest looking black woman we can put forward so like Meghan Markle essentially yeah exactly and it's like she's blonde and she's got a tiny nose and she's basically looks like she's a white person with a tan and then this is supposed to encompass what all black women look like i always kind of felt guilty growing up i never really admitted that i never really saw myself in beyonce and i I knew she was a black woman but i really felt like i was supposed to see myself represented in biracial women or women that were super light-skinned and i didn't and i almost felt guilty for not thinking that i looked like rihanna or seeing myself in her growing up and being like so starved of representation and then writing about it and then dedicating like chapters and chapters to being like how important it is and then being in like the whitest spaces with our dark skin and big noses and like talking about representation and then going on to become that representation is the most surreal experience ever. Growing up, I've never seen anything like that, especially not two black girls from South London that aren't actresses or we were talking earlier about like Michaela Cole and Letitia Wright are probably the only two dark-skinned black women that are British that are like super visible and do like a lot of photo shoots and stuff so when we kept getting these requests for photo shoots it was very much like wow so also like the stereotypes of beauty you touch on that as well in the book I feel like the beauty industry is basically designed to keep women down in general so much value is placed on our appearance and actually we could just be getting on with some other shit if we weren't all worrying about that do you feel that more acutely as black women and what kind of impact does that have on your confidence when you're younger and you don't see that kind of representation of black women being beautiful june sarpon talks about in the book and she's like you have to find it from somewhere because it's not coming from outside so you weirdly like a lot of black women I know personally, this is totally anecdotally, but like are really confident and really like self-assured because they have absolutely no choice because they're not getting it from outside. I think growing up, it's weird. I actually remember the day when I was like 15, I really didn't like my nose at all. I was like, it's way too wide. Must've been like probably after years of like trying to fit on a red nose. Like I was like, oh my God, like I just hate it. And then I just actually remember the exact day, like I was 15 years old, where I was just like, I actually can't do this anymore. I have no choice. Like I have to just start to like myself and and in some way and and accept that I'm never going to be white or even light-skinned so I kind of just have to like get on with it but then on the flip side despite that confidence you can still see women that I have this like really beautiful friend who's like so gorgeous stunning one of the most confident girls I know and then anytime I bring up like in a complimentary way that she's dark in a flippant way but just being like oh my gosh like um your skin like so beautiful like blah blah like because I've always weirdly wanted to be darker I guess which is weird and completely just flips the whole thing about like you know beauty standards on its head but I guess it's because I thought I was darker than I am and in reality like I'm actually not that dark, if that makes sense. So I always kind of wanted to be more tan because I never actually got any flack for it. But because this friend of mine actually had, anytime I kind of say to her in a complimentary way that like she's dark skinned with absolutely no connotations that are like negative at all, she she flinches. It's like this really deep rooted thing that I genuinely don't think, despite all the representation, despite everything will ever really change. Like she will never not see it as like a negative thing. It's a privilege thing. Like I genuinely thought like I'm dark skinned too. I'm part of the struggle, but I'm not because when... I say to her that she's dark in like a complimentary way and she's like gone away and like she's darker and I'm like, oh look at your skin it's popping melanin popping she will always have this like she gets her back up and she doesn't like it and 
and and and like I realise it's because she has this thing that while she's confident, it it's confidence that she's had to build against people consistently saying that she's pretty for somebody that's dark skin or that you know she should stay out of the sun. It's confidence that she had to build from herself, and then so it's a bit more. I don't even want to say I wouldn't say it's more fragile, but it's just something that it's I don't know. It's just it's just hard. Like I feel like so much of our confidence has been built like in response to stuff rather than it being like nurtured and like you know we don't get confidence because it's like people have made black women feel good about themselves it's kind of like if we didn't find this confidence then we just feel like shit all the time so it's not given to you and i wouldn't then say that it's given to all women because i know women of all colors and shapes and sizes have their own shit but i would say that at least white women can know they're not considered unattractive because they're white. It's such a weird concept to a white person. Even the idea that there are degrees of yeah, of darkness. This, yeah. like it's, that probably someone sounds fucking ignorant, you. but like no, it's, it's such funny. an alien concept. When the book was sort of announced and there was a, a big fight by publishers to get hold of the book. Were you surprised by that? I think we were surprised a little bit by it was nine publishers that actually went to auction though we had way more interest so i think initially we were definitely surprised especially because it was like 2016 so i guess the whole diversity conversation hadn't taken off in what it is now i think it was definitely overwhelming to kind of really believe in something and understand that i guess it's bigger than yourself it's not just oh the want to write a book but the want to kind of write a book that is going to speak to Um, so many black women but give representation and validation to their own experiences as well and I guess provide practical advice and actually help them but I think also the fact that they could see the commercial opportunity in it which is something that you don't necessarily see all the time with things that have the label black on it and actually I'm going to correct myself not the label black but things that are for black people so which is mad when you look at popular culture yeah exactly because it's, it's dominated by loads of black women it's dominated by loads of black men um and it's dominated by black culture and it's in itself when you think about okay but what where is that representation actually coming from do we own any of it are we in charge of that story the answer is probably no so we may front things a lot we may be featured in campaigns but in terms of the person who actually commissions the actual thing um or the person who owns the campaign all of these things they're still dominated by essentially a lot of white men and, and white women so i guess from an industry that's predominantly white published industry very very um, very elitist and it's very white so to get that response was definitely something that took us aback i think we were very much like oh okay we could hopefully get you know two really interested publishers in this but to get what we got back was i guess testament to the fact that it's a really good idea if you took the black element out of this book and you gathered loads of white women and asked them about how they've you know slowed in their lanes i think it would also do very well but i think because it was very much very specific to a, the black british female experience and the fact that it's got a great name and it's it's something that's unprecedented it's never been done before i think that was what kind of captured their imagination and kind of spurred on the, the bidding war and and their interest and i think looking back one of the really really good things that I guess we didn't realise then was when you have the opportunity to kind of create something like this or a book or whatever it is, a product, we had the privilege of having so many different publishers, which meant that we had an opportunity to be authentic and to really take charge of the process, which is a privilege because I think the fact that we've had nine, we could definitely say, okay, well, if 
we had someone, one of the meetings, one of the publishers asked us to, if we would consider changing it from black to women of colour, which we weren't prepared to do, which wasn't in our pitch at all, it was very much black from the start. But we had the, I guess, confidence to kind of say, well, no, it doesn't really work for us. He wasn't like pushing it. He wasn't like, oh, it definitely has to be women of colour for it to work for us. But I think the fact that he asked that question meant that he didn't get it. And we were very much happy to go and have other conversations with everybody else and that's not a privilege that's always afforded when you're telling stories from marginalized backgrounds because the publishers or whether you're taking your story to whatever want to have some semblance of control over it and want to make sure it's commercial and, and does all these different things and adheres to what they want to do as well because it's a business but I think the the looking back one of the biggest privileges the nine auction bidding war had and we were able to benefit was from us being authentic and us being able to control what we wanted because we knew that it was essentially like first of its kind we knew that there was be you know some cynicism around like oh what's this all about from white people we got that but from also our demographic as well hello jen here with another interruption not another one we are all over that social media in it if you want to converse with us via the digital world you can do so we're on twitter at standard issue uk and individually at mixta noonan at that dunleavy and at inspira jen and it should be perfectly obvious which one is which <laughs> we're standard issue magazine on facebook and you can also find us on instagram because we are down with the kids at standard issue podcast Come and have a look at the pictures we post. Surprisingly, not really that many of cats. What kind of cynicism did you get from white people and from within the black community as well? I think when you're doing this, like you're doing anything that's a bit different, that's never been done before, you're always going to get people who may not get it and may not care. You get, you have some people who just, you know, at the start, oh, this isn't for me, I don't care. And then obviously they've seen it grow and it's snowboard and they actually do care you have some people who will never care and it's not for them and that's totally fine but i think what's been really really good about what we've done in this campaign is really been able to kind of not let that derail any conversation around what we're trying to do i think a lot of the time outrage sells magazines and it drives conversations but not necessarily drives conversations towards the right way and i think what's been really good about what we've done is we've been able to be really real about the experiences of being a black British woman. Yes, the book is hot pink, but we're talking about really, you know, challenging things in the book and we're not skirting around issues. I think that in terms of the reaction, we've been able to kind of not be derailed by one person saying they may not like it. For every person who says it's not for them, there's a hundred people that will say it's for them. When we meet loads of people in our events, it's always quite a mixed bag of girls who essentially are our age, a lot of women who are older than us white women white men there were a lot of late adopters it wasn't something that when we announced like this was something that was happening that i don't believe everybody thought it was going to be what it was mm -hmm. so it meant that you know when we kind of announced it and we're like oh we're doing this thing it, you kind of expect like this reaction of like oh hey like this thing's happening and we had such faith in the idea and we were so positive about it and and genuinely believed that it was necessary this wasn't something that like it was like oh diversity's trending so even when it did feel sometimes like oh 
oh like you know where's the kind of like conversation around this thing we were really sure that eventually it would pick up and it did I spoke quite candidly and said you sort of touched on this a little bit before but sometimes it feels a bit like women's rights and women's equality etc etc sort of treated like a bit of a trend women of colour particularly British Nigerian women having sort of a bit of a moment right now do you feel like this is a trend or do you feel like a tide is turning here it's interesting you say the Nigerian thing because you've got Rennie who's also Nigerian you've got her brilliant book and you've got Slumflower who's Nigerian yeah she's been so supportive of our book and in a world where it's like women can so easily be pitted against each other and our books literally came out a week within each other and it's like both Nigerian girls both like young women speaking to similar demographics she could have so easily just been like this got nothing to do with me but like she's literally been in interviews going this is the most important book of the year not like tagging us in it yeah but you know how it is we're both we're we're, all three of us were black and I know that shouldn't matter but it's the same thing with women of Mm. all races where it's like okay they're these two right there can only be one and that's something that women just generally experience but then imagine it when you're black and then you're British and then you're Nigerian it gets, it gets smaller it gets more and more like they're the same person exactly and I think it's so easy for things to descend into like verses and I think she's so confident in herself at like as how young she's 23 years old yeah, we she's wouldn't have, she's amazing and we wouldn't have even kind of begrudged her if she'd have kind of just been like oh it's, I don't know them but it's the fact that she just went so out of her way because we didn't really know her before that much like and she went so out of her way to be supportive she used her platform she's got so many followers to like be plugging our book and yeah she's just such an amazing girl she's great so if you're listening (laughs) we love you chidi like yeah yeah Yeah, i think that's it feels like we're having a moment or it feels as if we're just getting what we deserve as well and i think that's quite interesting across black british culture across the spectrum anyway i think for so long our parents have kind of pushed us you know i was born in this country but my brothers and sisters were and yomi was born here and it's your your journalist your sister's a journalist that is quite interesting because a lot of nigerian and households in good faith want their children to go down the you know lawyer doctor engineer kind of route which those jobs are seemingly more stable and things like that so i think in those kind of industries we've been having moments so you do get loads loads of successful black lawyers and loads of successful black engineers in this country and nigerian and on the spectrum i think it's quite interesting how in terms of you know publishing and in terms of music and all of these things it feels as if we are finally being visible as well i think it's amazing to see and i think it's just it's better it's always puzzling when there can only be one show one book one this and i think that's why sunflower she's amazing because she's never seen it like that and i think that's it helps when there's more of us but we're always kind of almost seen to be pitted against each other and that's not the right way because when there's more of us it's just not one person speaking it's like it's not just a voice it's a chorus and i think that is what's going to affect real change all the books that these black british nigerian girls have written are all quite different books they all touch on different areas different different industries and i think yeah i think it's a moment but overdue I feel like i wish i was younger so i could be a bit more ins- i'm inspired obviously now but i wish i was younger so i could literally just be like oh my god there's so much and i think the internet plays a real big part in that as well nobody talks about it brilliantly in a book but also just generally because also you started birthday magazine when you were at university and it wasn't for anything to do with diversity you just wanted to do something and the internet allowed you to do something and create something and i think a lot of us you don't have to have you know massive followings conscious popular belief but if you create something you nurture it and you're consistent i think the internet's given us such a voice but also the the tools to do it because it's not all about you know just tweeting rage and just being like oh but showcasing your talent and I think that's what's allowed us a lot of us to do and normally when 
we live in households where it's very much like oh you've got to you know be you know be a lawyer and be and do those kind of like those type of roles i think the internet's allowed us to kind of mm. accelerate our careers in a way that it makes our parents proud and it's it's weird kind of like things so i feel like we won't necessarily understand it till about i guess well, i'm 26 now in the next 10 years mm. because the new generation that's coming up, they don't really, we didn't grow up with the internet in that way. Mm. So I think it's going to be quite interesting how they take it forward. If the issue that you're coming up against time and time again is systemic mm. institutionalised racism and gatekeepers yeah. and all the gatekeepers are white yeah. or all the gatekeepers are white men or, or whatever, then gatekeepers can kind of fuck yeah. off now, can't they? Like exactly. the internet is sort of dismissing it a yeah. lot. The first thing Elizabeth did when she was like, do you, do you want to write this book blah, blah blah like we literally went on the internet and were like how to get a book deal and then we got our agent because Nikesh Shukla the author of The Good Immigrant tweeted about if you're BAME and you need representation send me your proposals and then because we'd googled how to write a proposal we had a proposal to send him and then if we hadn't seen that tweet then we would have never known that's literally how I got our current agent mm-hmm. and when you look at things like Mo the Comedian who has got a new show that's coming out next year on Channel 4 he's absolutely hilarious gatekeepers are now having to like look to the internet to see what works and what's relevant and things like the chicken connoisseur like if he hadn't done those viral videos now he's got peng life on channel 4 and then you've even in america insecure that started as um it's a race show on hbo that literally started as a youtube series that i used to watch in like 2014 called awkward black girl things like that i think like big shot you're so obsessed with him i always forget him and you bring him up every time and he's from croydon and he's thrived and i think it's funny because as elizabeth keeps saying like me and elizabeth did this as a side hustle essentially we had full-time jobs and it was very much like the internet gave us that space. I don't know how we'd have done it without it. For the information, for the means to do it, for the inspiration to do it. Obviously, if we'd have seen like books like Rennie's and like books like um, Ortega Ogwogba, um, the author of The Little Black Book, if we'd have seen it in shops, it would have been like one level of inspiration. But being able to see visible black Nigerian girls, even in terms of visibility and what you see, we were very aware of them. Once um, Elizabeth literally rang me and was like, oh, this is the idea, blah, blah, blah. Then we were kind of like looking around like what, what else is out there? Who else is doing what? And then it was like, when we started seeing like, oh my gosh, these two Nigerian girls that like around the same age as us have done it it really was just okay this is possible and like Otego literally has the same like publisher as us and it's that thing of you know the internet allowed us to visibly see people do it but then it's like it gave us the means to do it because as like Elizabeth literally googled how to do it the playing field has become so much more level I think it says a lot that like me and Elizabeth choose to do pretty much all our book promotes all online we have a Twitter account we have an Instagram account we have a Facebook page all dedicated to Slaying Your Lane like we don't use our own platform like we're trying to create one and Mm. I think it's because so much of our demographic have found themselves and yeah who they are online we want to talk to them so it's like we use online yeah i think it's just it's just changed the game hello mickey here sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure but i just thought as you're having such pleasure listening you might be up for helping us out and making more content that champions women that's easy to do you can just bob along to our patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue and any spare bunch you might have found in your pocket down the back of the sofa feel free to chuck it to us much obliged what's so interesting because we talk about this all the time in terms of what does that mean in a couple of years time it's obviously leveled playing field but ultimately the people who gave us all these commissions and to do these features are still in these publications and they are still the gatekeepers it's so interesting in terms of creating something that's so authentic how do you springboard it for it to be successful offline Mm. because offline still very much matters and i think what's interesting with loads of black influencers creating platforms getting loads of different views we see it with youtubers and everything Mm. but 
it will be interesting to see how that really translates into the offline and actual sales because we talk about it all the time yeah. because it feels as if at this moment in time you turn on the tv and there's from channel five to you know visibly it feels as if there's a need for diversity and they care about it but in terms of i guess helping permanent change i think that's what we really really so important what does that legacy look like a young girl who is consuming these magazines it's not just going to be a one-off feature they actually can be inspired year in year out essentially how do you flip a brick that's actually (laughs) going to matter in the long term yeah the reason why it matters a lot with black british representation is we don't want it to be fleeting we don't want it to just be a moment in time and very much because we've spoken to Mallory Blackman who's obviously the um, an amazing author mm-hmm. and she said that she's seen it all before a little bit where it's very influx of like you know black writers and black authors and then it's very much a couple of ten years later she's the only one Barclay said the same thing when yeah, I interviewed him he literally that. said that it's like every ten years there's a black renaissance and the reason we can see it so visibly now is because of the internet yeah, yeah. and he was like every ten years he's called and they're like what do you think about the black film renaissance and it's funny because Spike Lee throughout it has always maintained and I think that's what me and Elizabeth were like saying like to all these black brits that are like doing all this amazing stuff we want everybody that's doing their thing like we want more chewing gums we want more of like mother comedians upcoming show we want more peng lives rather than it to be like here's this visibility this one-off thing and then you disappear because spike lee throughout all these like black renaissances has just like weathered the storm same thing with like mallory and people always ask us like do you think diversity is a trend and we're like yeah but we intend that staying your name like we'll be on this trend god willing like so many of the other content that's been created now will still be relevant because at the end of the day our demographic doesn't disappear and the conversations don't become irrelevant i think that is the biggest thing because mm. we spoke earlier about representation for young girls mm. and what we want what we hope to achieve mm. these black girls don't stop existing mm. sure. they don't deserve for their confidence just to stop stop existing mm. just because a white man in his ivory tower decides that he can't bother with black content anymore yeah. we've had one Right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that is, <laughs> yeah. I think that's like the biggest thing because it's not just, we didn't want to write this book just because we wanted to write a book. Yeah. We want to write a book because there's a broader message. And I think. And we can't just talk about it, we right? have to actually do it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. What because we see. September covers look like. Yeah. That's the real question. And they're not even next year. What will 2020s yeah. or 2021 September covers look like? Because if they all revert back to what they look like they're in 2011, still... it's all been for nothing. And that's why, like, even with saying your name, we're always talking about, like, it's a movement. And we really try to drive that because we're like, like, guys, the demographic either gets larger or it still stays the same. Like, black British women aren't going anywhere. Yeah. All these women that we've interviewed, they've always existed. They've always been doing this amazing stuff. Elizabeth always says, this is not a full stop. We don't see saying it as a full stop. We see it as something that should open the floodgates for it to be like, oh, let's have books about this experience, that experience. Because we couldn't do women of colour because it would do a disservice to other women of colour. Because if we just all amalgamated all our very different, at times, opposed experiences into one book so we want it to be a thing where it's like yeah this the fact this sold and it was commercial and it wasn't set in a section which was like black studies it was in you know sections that were just about anything we want to show that this book sold commercially with the word black girl in the title so what about the british asian experience what about black men what about asian women a mixed race person was like literally was tweeting us going this is like the best book i've ever read i just wish that it touched more on the mixed race experience and or i wish there was a version and i was like you know what that's like that should exist do you know what i mean and i think we've never seen this as being the ultimate we did our best but we're just too only so far we can go also you're representing your demographic and it's as much as yet obviously it's for the gatekeepers to do Mm. their thing and not be pricks and and all of that but it's also 
go do it. Go write your experience. This is why Elizabeth speaks so highly of Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, because it's like, it's a good book. And it didn't speak about the black female experience. Rather than Elizabeth being like, that now means it's a shit book, it means, no, it's still a good book. That's fine. Not every book needs to... I, that's something I totally don't agree with. All businesses are meant to fulfil all the needs. Exactly. There's a reason why large supermarkets aren't really doing well, because when you go mass and you don't necessarily hit a target audience properly, you yeah. become obsolete. So you need to, I guess... Yeah. So it's specific. Exactly. And doesn't make lean in redundant. A lot of people argue that. I mean, it's funny because Sharon Sandberg literally emailed us and was like, oh my God, you guys' book's amazing. I know. Mm-hmm. And she, that's one thing I love. Like, she was, mate, Elizabeth has spoken about her a lot, about how she's inspirational to this book. And like, she could have just been like, oh, well, you're basically saying my book's rubbish. But because she knew that's not what was being said, it was their limitations to this book. In the same way, we wouldn't be offended if people were like, well, you're too heterosexual, able-bodied black women. We aren't offended by people saying that there's a limitation to this book because of course there is. Mm-hmm. And to uh, represent something authentically, you write about the experiences that you know. So with Sheryl Sandberg's book, rather than Elizabeth being like, this is now obsolete, it was let me write about my specific experience. Mm-hmm. And if anything, that should just show that people's specific experiences deserve to be catered to and their stories need to be heard. It's not that like, you know, everybody's experience must be amalgamated into one thing. That's not the answer either. It's just about gatekeepers actually bothering to understand that people's stories don't have to be white, heterosexual, able-bodied male for them to be worth telling. We're not like the side chick, or not side chick, sidekick. We're not just an afterthought. And and I think that's the thing with this book. And I guess I don't know what it's like to be a black disabled woman. And I want someone to speak of that experience. And it's this book shouldn't have put all the experiences into one we need to be allowed to tell our stories and tell about the different versions of it and different identities and because we all have privilege because i'm you know i'm saying oh yeah black women i can only see white women and black and white men but there is so much privilege that i'm not looking at in myself and i think it's about all i think that's one thing i realized by writing this book as much as i'm like diversity conversations are all centered around a lot of time gender it should be more it should include race but it should include disability as well if i could go back and change anything in that book i would insert that word and insert different things because i think it's important for it to be widened a lot more but the conversation this book is just one book this book doesn't deserve to i guess do everything the gatekeepers have to allow us to tell our stories and told allow different people to be visible there's a platform called the triple cripples with these three women um, with different disabilities i believe i've only seen it really fleetingly because i follow one of the girls on twitter i remember seeing it and being like this is so important because just the fact that that's an experience that you so rarely hear about and something that's really close to both me and Elizabeth. But just because it's close to us and just because it's something that like we both, in terms of our families, have dealt with in- immediately, doesn't mean it's not our story to tell. Yeah. So when I saw that platform, I was like, this is so important. These are these three women providing visibility telling their stories and that matters i don't know what they'll go on to do but i think it's so important that it exists and i hope that they're given and and stories like that are given that platform in the mainstream because it it's about us all learning this and all understanding this people are like wow like so much stuff in the book is so invisible to me it's so alien to me i didn't even know it existed and i'm like there's so there's still as black women so many experiences that, you know i'll never forget i watched this show called the black lesbian handbook on channel four it was like an online series i didn't know anything about black lesbians because i'm not a black lesbian and i don't know many black lesbians so when reading about the experiences and just the slang and the lingo and just the codes and all this kind of stuff i was like this is fascinating and i was so well done to channel four for giving 
was only online and see this is that thing again that conversation about online and it was brilliant and i think that it's great it even existed and again on a platform like channel 4 but imagine the power of seeing something like that on tv in a 9 p.m slot because then people just they just gay each other better and it's just like i mean it doesn't sort everything but then it's just very much like people understand each other better become better allies and can just live with each other better i wanted to ask this question but i'm a little bit reluctant to end on it because um like a typical white prick i'm making it all about me <laughs> what can white people do to be better allies i would say listen more yeah i think that's like the number one thing i think it's so easy to kind of you know not want to check your privilege and just talk because you just like, oh no, I'm definitely not racist. Or I'm, I have no, but it's just to kind of listen about other people's experiences. And I guess through listening, you empathise a bit more. And through that, you are able to be better allies and you're able to spot things. And that woman that wrote on our Amazon review that she's changed her perspective in terms of how she manages her management style. That's, that's huge because now she's going to go and affect, like, I guess, her team. And I think that's what it comes down to. Listening and just, you know, not having that instant reaction to kind of just be like, oh, I'm I'm doing all right. Definitely not racist. So it doesn't apply to me because it doesn't. It's not as simple as that. Racism and has taken on so many different forms that it doesn't just come down to you know calling someone a name. And I think in order to become exactly, and I think to become a better ally, you've and to, even for me to become a better ally to other different groups and other different identities i have to be i have to listen more and i have to want to engage and want to look outside myself and not be so wrapped up in my own life and which is not easy for all of us essentially What's yeah that thing that karen blackett said when she was like you've got one mouth and two ears like use them in yeah. i can't remember like in the quantity that you've yeah. been given them yeah. and that's like that's i think basically in summary like listen because then once you hear things then you can do and then you'll want to do and i mean if you're an absolute massive asshole then maybe you won't and that's not fine but okay that's fair enough that's just your choice do you know what i mean that's your choice but like most well-meaning good people will hear things and it's impossible not to feel moved to do something and and just understanding as well that when you're when you're complicit in things Mm. because it's just complicity is so different to active and intentional wrongdoing but Mm. we're also complicit in so much i remember somebody was asking it was like a tweet saying do you check your racist white grandmother when she's talking about wogs at the table and then i thought wow that's so that's such a good point but then i kind of look back at the black community and say do you check your your homophobic dad when he's talking about gay people at the table we all have our things that we need to be doing because i was like it's it's very easy especially when you're in an oppressed group to forget as elizabeth said our own privileges because i thought that's so true that thing about no, it's very easy not to check your grandmother and say, hey, that's racist. But then it's very easy for us to not say, hey, that's homophobic. I've had to call out distant relatives that like, I've I've genuinely had to say like, oh, this is a bit, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, this is a bit um, problematic. It doesn't necessarily foster like, do you know what I mean? Like, and and, and everyone goes about it their different way. And on Twitter, everybody pretends that, you know, they're really like holding their mum against the wall and being like, oh, you're racist. Do you know what I mean? But in reality, it's like, these conversations are difficult to have, but it's very much about acknowledging what you're complicit in, what you're allowing slide. And I guess when it comes to things, if it hadn't been for like me and Elizabeth's own proximity, for instance, to like disability, there's so much stuff that we wouldn't know. There's so much stuff we wouldn't notice. Like in terms of just accessibility, there's so much stuff you wouldn't even think about. And I think it's very much that thing, like when you listen, and as I said, unless you're literally like Donald Trump, it's hard not to be moved to do the right thing, but you can't ask people to do the right thing before they've heard, not to end on like, go and buy our book. But honestly, it's very much like do it because then, it's very hard to, if the starting point is, 
I want to do the right thing, but do these things even exist? It's like, okay, let's actually lay out what the issues are and then you can attempt to do something about it. And it doesn't have to be often as big or dramatic as people think. Sometimes it really is just checking somebody. You don't have to be nasty and like aggressively like quote tweet people or try and shame people. Often it really is just people not knowing things like and people just being ignorant. But once you know something, you can't claim ignorance anymore. Hence why we always talk about like listening and like learning from stuff. So your book, Slay in Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible, is out now and available from all good book shops online on the street. What's next for you guys? Holiday, hopefully. But yeah, I think just follow our account. I think we have so many like exciting things coming up and it'll be really cool to kind of, you know, share them with people. And where can we follow your accounts? At Slay In Your Lane across all social media platforms. Uh-huh. We've got a website, slayinyourlane.com slash uk. We bought both domains, so... <laughs> taking no chances ladies thank you so much for joining us oh thank you thank you so So much standard issue for all women